0: Support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Carl Photography Podcast. achieving your master's, but I'd love to ask you why photojournalism?
1: <laughs> I've got asked this question so much. Basically for me, the whole university route is my end goal is to go into academia mm-hmm. and I want to go to photography. So I chose the subject I kind of want to specialize in. For my degree, I've done photography and I came out of it not knowing what I want to do within photography, which I think kind of defeats the purpose of going through three years of education. So it took right. me a few years to work out, it was documentary, photojournalism, that's what I wanted to focus on. And then wanting to go into academia, I thought it would be a perfect time just to do what I want to do for a bit.
0: Okay, so you want to go into academia. What is it that makes you want to go in that direction with things?
1: Um, I just like I like the learning environment. I like the teaching element. Um, I enjoy photography, practicing doing it myself, but I definitely get more out of how not to say in a cheesy way, out of helping others and also learning from other people. I just I kind of thrive in that environment. I know a lot of people don't, especially when it comes to photography. But for me, being in sort of a classroom environment really helps me.
0: I mean, a lot of people these days are sort of when it comes to any kind of creative art, maybe aren't going down the academic route themselves. They're just jumping straight into self-employment and, and freelancing. What, what is it that you took from from going to university and getting your master's? What have you learned about photography from going in that direction?
1: You know what? I would actually recommend that most people don't go to university for doing something creative. (laughs) I am purely doing it because I want to go into academia. And to be a lecturer, you have to have a master's at the very least, if not a PhD. Um, But the environment itself is something I would want to change. It is very limiting and it only works for a very specific kind of people. And as much as I was doing a creative subject, I would say naturally I am quite academic. So it works for me. But I think just going into the industry is one of the best ways to do it. Um, so maybe I'm not the best advocate for it, but I'd like to change it. For me, I learned a lot about the theory, the practical side. I've kind of, I've not got it down. I can always learn more, but it's a theory side of photography. I definitely need to get better at and I want to learn more about. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not for everyone.
0: Is it something you saw people sort of on the same masters as you or or going down the same route as you that just, they didn't get out of it what they were after? Is, Is that what you've seen?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, more so on my undergrad, there were a lot of people by the third year, they knew they didn't want to do photography. They just picked to do a course because they wanted a degree. Um, And I'll definitely steer people away from doing that. If you want to just do a degree, don't do photography. Um, On my master's, it was a lot more like-minded people. A lot of people wanted to go into academia and teaching or doing workshops. And it's definitely helpful that, but then also we had a lot of people drop out because it's just not for them.
0: Right. Right. And a bit of a jump here, but it's something that I find interesting. So obviously you have a YouTube channel. You do a lot of, a lot of videos on YouTube. Is, is that something as well? Is that kind of flexing your teaching muscles, I guess? Is that why you went to YouTube?
1: When I look back on it, I think probably that's why I've enjoyed it so much. It's not why I started it. But now in lockdown, I've had a lot of time to reflect on my content I'm making and change it up a bit. Um, so now I'm doing like a new monthly Q and a, which I want to be more like a community Q and a, so everyone gets involved in the comments and it's not just me answering it. And that's kind of trying to replicate sort of the university environment I'm used to and the crypts. So I've definitely, yeah, my content definitely reflects where I want to go now.
0: And what did you start it for? If it wasn't for that reason?
1: Um, my YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, it was 2017. At the end of 2017, I came back from living in Bangladesh. Um, and I was there as a community worker. I came back to England right in the middle of Christmas. I had no money, no job. and no idea what I wanted to do. And um, When I was in Bangladesh, we had no Wi-Fi for the whole time we were out there. Um, and my friend had just downloaded a load of YouTube videos. And I don't know if I've been living under a rock, but I've just never really watched YouTube up until that point. And I was just watching it I and was people like Casey Neistat and I was just like, wow, yeah, that can actually be a job. You can document your life. Um, right. and so, yeah, I came back and I just, I had no direction, no money. And I just thought, right, if I give myself the focus of just doing one video a week, then, you know, the making the video coming up with the idea, the editing, all that takes a lot of time out of a week. So it just gives me something to do. Um, and I actually originally made videos on Vimeo. Um, I didn't start on YouTube. That was never really the plan. Um, but then they changed the membership things and I didn't want to pay for Vimeo and that's why I ended up on YouTube.
0: Yeah. It's incredible how Vimeo seems to be going out of its way to not, um, challenge YouTube. Yeah. When it comes to YouTube, obviously I'm I'm assuming you're now a little bit more engrossed in it. Um, do you feel like it's something that generally speaking for the community is good for photography?
1: Um, I think it's twofold. I think generally, yes. Um, I think there's a lot of people, and I've probably been guilty of this in the past, where you just want to make a video, so you do, and it's not necessarily helpful to anyone. You're kind of just keeping that consistency going. I think generally, if you know what you're looking for, if you're looking for a specific camera or film review, then it can be really good. Um, But I think it's hard to know what to watch and if people have the right intentions.
0: It's kind of um, a situation where there's... um a lack of ability to validate the information, I guess, that's going out to people that don't know better. So there's people that are potentially going to learn the wrong way around of doing something. Or one of the, one of the things that worries me of YouTube is that there's a lot of product endorsement that's kind of been hidden underneath the surface of other intentions. So it's made out to look like a review of something. And it's it's actually just a sales pitch from someone that's being paid to, to sell a product. That, that's what worries me a little bit with YouTube. If you don't mind me switching, I kind of want to blindside you with a question here, like a complete asshole. but you shoot film, <laughs> but I've noticed that you don't shoot a tremendous amount of black and white. What, what's, what, what don't you like about black and white film?
1: Well, I'm, I'm changing that up. Now I've actually really got into black and white very recently. I honestly don't know. I've just always been, I kind of got drawn into the very much cult of the portrait. and I've been shooting that a lot for projects and I got inside my head thinking, oh, if I shoot it in black and white and I want it in colour, what am I going to do? Um, but then kodak have hyped their prices up and everything's just getting more expensive and black and white is one of the films which actually is staying quite consistent in price and developing it's quite a bit cheaper so black and white is coming back to my practice definitely
0: I mean you've mentioned that the i quite like the terminology of the cult of portrait because I think that sounds pretty accurate one thing I've noticed with your channel is you shoot a, a tremendous amount of weird photo stocks um uh, uh, film stocks, sorry what have what's been some of your favorites and does that ever does it ever wind you up that you you're trying all of these different stocks and there's not like the consistency you you know is that something with YouTube that bothers you?
1: um no, not really. I mean for me youtube is just it's kind of turned into the space where I can try out these cool film stocks like I really like the Revolog stuff, um some really cool Volvox. But for me it's just where I can try out different stuff because actually when I'm doing client work, I majority of the time I shoot in digital. So it's actually just a time for me to experiment. And most of the stuff I do is just personal on YouTube. It's not, you know, professional work. So I just like to try different stuff out.
0: So why do you prefer film for for personal and, and digital for your professional work?
1: Professional work it's just a lot more practical. I found a lot of clients like the fact they can see the photos as you're taking them or, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of clients aren't actually willing to wait, you know, a few days for you to get it developed. Um, Mm -hmm. And just, I prefer taking my time with film. And yeah, it's just often not the logical or practical approach. Sometimes people do approach me for jobs and say, please, can you shoot it in film? And that's my favorite when it kind of crosses over. But generally, I kind of split the two just so in my head, I know digital client work, is quite quick. Film, I just slow it down and I enjoy it.
0: Something I've seen a fair bit is people that are creative in nature who then go into a creative field for their work tend to get quite stifled by um, having to hand over creative control to their clients. How do you deal with that?
1: Uh, Not very well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was the biggest learning curve I had coming out of university. Um, It's such a controlled environment, university, and you're actually expected to fail an experiment And then you go into the real world. um, That's the opposite of what you're meant to be doing. I Mm. realized that, I mean, my job before the whole sort of lockdown was um, video editing for a video production company. And I found that was the best way for me. It's not necessarily photography, it's creative, but I can follow the rules. I know what I'm meant to be doing. And then when I'm shooting photography, then I do have the control.
0: I mean, you you mentioned video work, and I noticed that you have like a reel on your website. Why video work as well as stills?
1: I think just right now, it's really important to have as many skills as you can. Um, It's such a competitive industry, and it's just going to get worse with everything going on. Mainly video, I just really enjoy it. I'm kind of boring. I like sitting down on Premiere every night and spending hours and hours editing. I don't know why I enjoy that side of things. It was always more of a hobby on the side of photography. And then it kind of just turned into a job. And I realized that that balance was right for me, but it's definitely not for everyone.
0: Do you find it different in terms of like composition and storytelling to have so much more latitude with the amount of time someone's viewing your work when you've got video, or do you prefer stills still?
1: I prefer video probably when it comes to storytelling. You've got a lot more room to articulate what you want to say. Like with my recent YouTube video, I've done a photo essay, and just having that room to do more narration just really helped me. Articulating what I want to do is not necessarily my strong point. And I think sometimes my photography kind of gets lost in my ideas and people try and find it hard to pick it out. Um, So storytelling, I find it easier with video, but that's just like working in a production company, you just see so much goes into it. It's not a one-man band. and That's something definitely you have to learn, that you're just a tiny cog in a very big wheel.
0: Um, To jump back a little bit here, something that I've noticed through the conversations I've had on the podcast is that there seems to be, um a little bit of a, a gray area between photojournalism and street photography and people maybe calling themselves photojournalists when they're street photographers or vice versa what is a photojournalist
1: <laughs> for me it's telling people it's telling human stories that's what photojournalism is i think street photography is more just capturing a moment rather than telling a story I, I'm not that bothered about labeling. Like I could never decide who I was. I just say I'm a documentary photographer because it kind of covers a multitude of things. If you're a photojournalist, you know it because that's your job. Very few photojournalism jobs will be going out on the street and just taking street photography. Um, but I'm not too worried about people labeling. If they enjoy what they do, then that's fine. Um,
0: obviously, you're incredibly well-educated in photography and experienced and you do the YouTube videos and so on. Uh, in your experience, what's the biggest photographic myth?
1: <laughs> the biggest myth for me would be, and it says it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what your gear is, whatever camera you've got on you is the best one. And to a point, I agree with that, but also you can't turn up to a job with a little cannon point and shoot. Um mm-hmm. It is is definitely elitist. And I saw it. I mean, I was very lucky to get a scholarship to go to university the first time around. And a lot of times I felt very out of my depth um, and behind other people. And I don't like when people try and hide the fact that money is involved. And as much as you can create brilliant photos with, you know, a really cheap camera, when it comes to professional work, you are expected to have high quality gear.
0: And you've seen it at the at the sort of ground level, I guess, by going through your masters. And are there lots of? I guess I'm trying to think the best way to frame this without feeling like I'm loading the question. But in terms of um, demographics, are there lots of women coming through the education system when it comes to photography?
1: Yes, yeah. This was like the biggest shock I had at university the first time round. I was probably part of eighty percent, probably women, and the wow, tutors okay. probably the tutors were probably fifty-fifty. Actually, it's pretty good, women to men. Um, and then, yeah, I got my first job and I was the only woman there. (laughs) Um, I don't know where that shift happens, where that balance completely goes the other way around. But yeah, at university, generally there is always a bigger majority of females studying photography.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I honestly don't know. I mean, photography is very varied. When I was at university, a lot of people, a lot of females wanted to go into wedding photography. A few people wanted to go into like pet portraits and then. It was mainly the men who wanted to go in to say photojournalism stuff. I was one of the few women who wanted to do that. And then, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't work in those other industries that I don't see many women. But yeah, I don't know where that shift happens, but it happens somewhere. And I don't know if they're discouraged or what happens.
0: You come across as an incredibly positive person. and I'm, I'm personally a very pessimistic one. So it's always nice to see someone that clashes with me. But I'm going to make this go slightly negative, so I apologise in advance. But I'd love to know what you think (laughs) the worst photo cliché is. The
1: worst photo cliché? Hmm. Well, I don't know if it's a cliché, but my worst ones are where you can see people have read the same guidebooks. You've got Rule of Thirds, you've got the whatever it is, Golden Circle thing. You've got all the leading lines. Um, And when people are being taught that, it just... I think it just stifles creativity. I don't like it when everyone's trying to fit in the same box. Um, right. I think like mainly at college and stuff, you're not you're encouraged to experiment and have fun, but at the same time it is subjective. And I think people often forget that.
0: In a sense, like people are boxing themselves in with the technical stuff, you mean? Yeah. Okay. And in terms of yourself, what's your worst habit as a photographer?
1: My worst habit, my worst habit when it comes to Digital is just not charging batteries. I shoot a Sony, which just kind of eats the batteries up and I'm just the worst at organizing pre-shoot. Like I'll have all my boot boards and everything ready and then I'll get to the door and I've got like one charged battery. <laughs> Film-wise, I'm just kind of, if I shoot a project on film, then my worst habit is just being a bit of a cheapskate probably. I don't want to shoot lows and loads. I just want to get one or two frames for each thing but I actually need to shoot a lot more. It's a bit like B-roll. You need to have way more than you actually need.
0: Um, as far as you go, obviously being this wonderfully optimistic person, how do you push through photographic slumps and like creative blocks?
1: Um, yeah, I don't think... <laughs> I think outwardly I'm very positive. I think inwardly I'm definitely more realistic. Um One of the things I do when it comes to YouTube is I have three videos already set up to go. So if I do hit a bit of a wall, I'm not making anything. I can just upload something because at the beginning, I didn't have any backup videos and I was just making videos. I wasn't in the mood for it and they were just really a bit crap. So YouTube, I definitely, now I've sorted out photography. I used to put a lot of pressure on myself to keep making projects. And then I saw a talk by Alex Sof. And he said, aside from shooting his projects, he actually barely ever shoots photography. He just relaxes and chills. And I thought, actually, that's probably my style. Um, so if I do hit a creative block when it comes to photography, I just take a break.
0: Now I've, I've got this written down in my notes as personal projects, but I'm not 100% sure that they're actually personal projects. Um, but you've got a, a project on your website called 4.07. And I'd love to kind of hear you just talk about that a tiny bit.
1: Yeah, that for me was just... Iceland is somewhere I've always wanted to go and I've just been absolutely intrigued by it and yeah the shortest day of the year there they just have four hours seven minutes of sunlight so I went there for that day to capture it on black and white film on ISO three three 3200 I think it was and yeah I'm just fascinated by their way of life I've always been very intrigued by sort of the more Nordic and the colder countries and yeah that was it really it was just sort of fulfilling a want of mine through a photo like through a photography project
0: was there like a tremendous amount of pre-visualization with that or was it something that you just kind of shot on site
1: yeah not at all now I pre-visualize every project I do um that one I just got there and decided what
0: I wanted to do and are you happy with the way it turned out in that sense
1: um I am it's very limited though so what you see on the website is probably like I don't know 80% 80% of the images I took that I'm happy with, I would love to go back and make a more substantial body of work.
0: When it comes to another project of yours, The Road Has No Beginning. I, I don't like to frame other people's um, projects. So I'll just let you talk about that a little bit, if that's okay.
1: Yeah. So The Road Has No Beginning. This is probably my first like I don't know how to phrase it maybe my first proper project um so it was quite a few months in the planning and it's basically walking the camino de santiago which i pronounce horrifically which is a 800 kilometer long walk from southern france all the way to western spain and um, it's an ancient pilgrimage i'm not actually religious but the point of the walk for me is it goes through seven provinces all of which will be affected by climate change it already has been And so for me, it was all about documenting the land. And then when I was there, I kind of turned into something more and I started documenting the people on the walk. Um, So yeah, it's all about climate change, but also sort of ancient rites of passage.
0: I mean, in terms of just in a general scope, what is the importance to you of having personal projects?
1: They are literally just what keeps me going. Like, as we were saying earlier, when, when you have all the creative control taken away from you, whether it's when I was video editing or doing client work, You need somewhere to get your ideas out of your head, or you're just going to become stuck.
0: And I've noticed, I mean, it's tentative times, but it does feel like there's a socio-political element to the vast majority of the work that you do, or that I see on your website. Is instilling your political views important to uh, your photographic voice?
1: Um, That's very interesting, actually. I haven't really thought about it. I think It's not a conscious decision. I think it's kind of slowly seeping through. And with YouTube and Instagram, I've sort of recently gained a few subscribers and followers. And people have been asking me questions like that. And I do now feel more of a responsibility. To be honest, I'm not going to hide what I think. Also, I'm not going to push it. Um, Mm. But definitely speaking up when you disagree with something, Like I will always do that.
0: Something I actually had said to me by... A photographer in a private message over a previous podcast that I had was that um, in his in his words, a photojournalist shouldn't be coloring the content that they're covering in the sense that they shouldn't be imparting a political opinion or, or a viewpoint onto their documentation of something. Is that something you agree with?
1: I mean, to a point, but can you ever really be purely objective? You're Mm -hmm. the one, whoever's got the camera, that's going to be your perspective. You decide where to stand. You decide who to photograph. And I don't think you can ever truly get both sides of the story. But also, you are a human. You have those thoughts. You have those opinions. And if you're doing a piece for, you know, a newspaper, then it is your job to capture as many sides of the story as possible. But I think people are always going to read into your images. People read stuff into my images, which just aren't true. People always will make their own stories up.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I've. I've had something similar, which is absolutely ridiculous because I don't do anything close to even being photojournalism or political. I photograph weddings and portraits and I've had people throw political arguments at my work. So I guess it's just interpretation that people want to lay out there. I think this week we saw Olympus get sold off and and that's now, I think, pretty much going to cease manufacturing cameras, it looks like. How do you feel about the shape of photography at the moment? Because it feels like a lot more people are doing it, but the camera companies themselves all seem to be struggling.
1: Yeah. So like on the one side, you've got Olympus and then you've got Kodak hiking their prices up to sustain, you know, with all this extra demand. And yet you kind of feel like, especially film photography, you're kind of stuck in the middle. Um, and I feel more than ever, I mean, I shoot obviously digital and film and I think it will push some people to go back to digital. Um, again, it kind of makes it a bit more elitist. Can you afford film photography? Can you afford to do it? I think film photography will definitely survive and it will start to thrive. But I think it's going to take time, especially with what's going on in the world at the moment. I don't think it's people's priority to sort out the film industry. Um, Mm. I love it, so I always do it. But it just depends how much I'll do it, I think.
0: A very strange unintended consequence that I have seen over the last few weeks with the protests is the amount of people that are photographing them on film. And I was actually talking to a photographer that photographed the protests over in South Carolina a couple of days ago, and I brought up the point that is there a potential that this is because film can be seen as a um, less manipulatable medium when it comes to photos and that it can come across as more honest? And I'm just curious to know where you would stand on that idea.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I've never connected the two of the protests, but for some reason, film definitely has that more sort of authentic feel to it. There's no reason you can always manipulate it, whether it's in camera or in Photoshop afterwards. But I think definitely you are more likely to jump to the conclusion that a digital photo has been manipulated for how you're going to see it over a film photo.
0: Um, Again, I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, I'll I'll come close to wrapping up, but I do like to ask annoying broad questions to, uh, (laughs) to put you on the spot. Um, Does a photographer need to shoot film to kind of be considered a real photographer?
1: No. No, I think it really helps and it definitely helped me and it helps you learning the ins and out of the camera and how it works, you know, when you can actually see the aperture change and all that sort of stuff and see where photography came from, but it's definitely not a necessity.
0: When I first started photography, which was about seven and a half years ago, um, there was a big brand war thing. Whenever you spoke to other photographers, you had to lay out which brand of camera you used. <coughs> they told you what brand they used, And if they weren't the same brand, you were automatically not friends anymore, which is incredibly childish. I think that seems to have moved more towards. Do you shoot film or do you shoot digital because of the resurgence of film, which I think is probably a good sign for film that it's been pushed up that far. In prominence, what do you make of that? That that overall opinion that some people hold that you know film holds more merit than digital.
1: I really hate it because it just takes me back to university. I went without a camera because I knew I could borrow cameras there. And the first question everyone says, "Canon or Nikon?" "Canon or Nikon?" And, and I was so I, I had no idea that there was this kind of this weird war going on. And it kind of is similar to film photography. It doesn't matter. Like you're shooting photography because you love it. If it becomes your job, then you have to make decisions based on that. But at the end of the day, it's a creative subject. I don't think there needs to be all that this weird, bizarre competition. We should actually just be helping each other out, showing each other our new gear or whatever. I don't see the competitive aspect as needed at all. Well,
0: that's what I've enjoyed. I've only recently started photographing film with any with any real interest, I guess, or any real um, enthusiasm. But I've loved I've loved the fact that there are people that are just. Buying cameras at all different brands, and that doesn't seem to be the conversation. The conversation seems to be on film stocks, but not in a tribalistic way. It's just in a in almost recommendation sort of sense that, like, oh, I've used this, it's really great. Oh, I used that, I didn't like it. Blah blah blah. Film definitely seems to be a much softer community where people are a lot nicer to each other.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, I done my first photo walk just before lockdown. And I don't know, I was kind of apprehensive. I never really shoot with other people. And I just absolutely loved everyone. Everyone's so lovely. Everyone's helping out. No one's going, Oh, you're shooting on this camera. Oh, you're, oh I've got a liker. Like, I was really expecting a bit <laughs> of, cam- you know, all these people with their likers. And I was just there with a little pointing to you. And people really don't care. It is the community aspect of it that people love. Um, so that definitely changed my mind on that sort of thing.
0: This is absolutely not. Politically correct in any way, and something that I wouldn't necessarily say I'd recommend. But when I kept running into the same conversations about brand loyalty with photographers, I actually found the quickest way to quieten the conversation down was to just say that they're all made by the same children, and instantly <laughs> everyone was just so offput by that statement that that was the end of the conversation. As far as your YouTube channel, where do you want it to go at this point? Because obviously, if you're going to be moving into academia at some point, is it is it's the YouTube channel something you're going to continue if you do?
1: I honestly don't know. Um, I very nearly stopped doing YouTube altogether about this time last year. I was ready to quit. I was making videos and getting like 50 views a time. And it's not about the amount of people who watch it, but like I was coming up to the end of my master's. I was doing The Road to Snow Beginning. I was writing my thesis and I was spending all these hours every week making YouTube videos for like 50 people to watch them and getting like one comment from my mom. And so I was just going <laughs> to give up. Sorry. (laughs) So yeah, Um, sad but true. Um, So I was just going to give up, and then Jason um, at Crazy Days—I think you've interviewed him recently. Um, Yes. He just randomly gave me a shout out, completely unexpected, and it was the day before I was due to go to Spain. And then I just got all these notifications: "Oh, you've got new subscribers!" And I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe I should keep going just for a little bit longer." Um, So yeah, I nearly quit then. Now I've gained a bit of momentum on it. I really enjoy. The community aspect of it with people commenting. Um, I've probably learned more from people in my own comments than I have from other videos. Um, but I think when it becomes a distraction from what I actually want to do, I'll stop. But for the minute, it's my main focus.
0: Yeah, no, it was grainy days that led me to you. So it's, it's definitely been a, a big factor, I think. Yeah, and he's he's a very cool guy as well. He's very funny. Last sort of question I'll ask you, and then I'll, I'll let you get on with your day, not having to listen to my voice. But in terms of your journey so far in photography, if you're to if you're to go back and speak to yourself at the start of the journey, what what recommendations, what changes would you make to uh, maybe ease the way that you've got to where you are?
1: Uh, just don't do it. Um, no. uh, <laughs> I would say uh, don't take myself too seriously and don't rush to get to the top because it's a long way down and enjoy the time when no one knows what you're doing or what you're shooting because that's the only time you're not going to get strangers critiquing what you're doing so yeah take your time with it
0: this is the point that we put at the end of all the podcasts where we uh, ask you to tell us where we can find all of your work so if you could give yourself a shout out at this point
1: yeah sure so Instagram it's Madison Beach Photos and then on YouTube Madison B and my website is madisonbeach.com
0: well thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's been great
1: no worries, I've enjoyed it.